Good morning. Uh, man, this, this series has been just incredible, and I'm really excited to preach today. But for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Uh, thank you for joining us today, if it is your first time. Uh, happy that you guys are here with us. We've been in this series called On Mission, and we've been talking about the mission of the church, the mission that Jesus has left us with. We're about midway through the series at this point. We've talked about how to sit with different people, how to engage with others that may not be like us. We've talked about what sharing our story looks like in the good scenarios and in the bad scenarios. Uh, today we're going to talk about what it looks like to give up our rights uh, as Christians when thinking about the gospel. And so uh, to do that, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can follow along with me on this screen right here. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 23. And what's happening right here in this letter, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He's been dealing with them about a lot of issues. Uh, and he starts to get into issues of food law and Jewish tradition. And in the middle of this conversation that he's having with them, he, he does a sidebar conversation for almost all of chapter 9. And in this sidebar conversation, he focuses on what it looks like to live a life of self-sacrifice for the sake of the gospel message. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, today at this kind of sidebar conversation that Paul has that I'm very grateful that he has. Uh, and we'll be starting in uh, verses 1. We'll read the first chunk, verses 1 to 14. Uh, we'll be ending at the end of the message today at verse 23. So you can read with me on the screen or on your phone or if you brought a Bible like Props. I, I need to find you after service and just give you a hug because you're the bomb. It's a lost art, right? So starting in verse 1, Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are my seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do you not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers and the Lord? Cephas, for all my single brothers and sisters, Paul is single, and he's enjoying it. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So what is Paul saying? He asks a lot of questions here. It's a lot of rhetorical questions, you know, just like, 
Paul is thinking, let me go through this scenario with you for a minute about our rights and what we can have and what our freedoms are as Christians. You know, like I said, this is part of a broader conversation. And so Paul says, let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about what it means. And I'll use my own life as an example. And so he starts asking question after question. Can't we do this? Can't we do this? Don't I have a right for this? Don't I have the freedom to this? Isn't my life like this? So Paul starts throwing out stuff. He, he throws out his status as an apostle. He throws out his freedom, how he's not bound by the Jewish laws anymore. He throws out This idea of support, how he should be receiving financial support for them because he has done the work of the gospel with them. And then he starts proving this. He proves this through his questions, through his logic. He says, listen, your salvation is proof of my apostleship. He brought them to Christ. He planted them. And that qualifies him in his work. And as an apostle, he says, I should be able to do what everybody else does, right? This is my right. This, I've earned this. I've earned the ability to get married like Peter did. I earned the ability to be with a believing wife like others did. I've earned the ability to make a living like other people have. This is something that I have a right to. And I, I love it. He hammers his right to support, to get support. He hammers that home. He says, for soldiers, who fights in a war for somebody and doesn't get their wages? If you've ever read history, any king who has not paid their soldiers, what do they have on their hand? A mutiny. And they lose that war really, really, really quickly. So Paul says, what soldier goes to war not expecting wages? They get their wages. If anything is going to happen in any type of war, in any type of famine, soldiers get paid first, if you look at history. It says, who has a vineyard and doesn't get to enjoy some of its fruit? Who is a shepherd and tends the flock and doesn't get to enjoy some of the milk? Even in scriptures, it says, don't muzzle an ox so that the ox, what happens is they would use oxen to plow the field, and the ox would be able to eat while it was plowing, right? A lot of you, this is, this is good news. Work-life balance and work, you know, you just like to eat at your desk. Paul is saying that's what we allow the ox to do. We don't want to get the oxen hangry, right? We want them to do their job. We want them to be happy. And so they can eat while they're working. I thought that joke was going to go over a lot better, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All the, all the <laughs> vegan vegetarians. Anyway, another story. The temple servants, he says, all right, let's, let's go look at the temple, right? The temple servants, where do they get their food? Where do they get their sustenance from? Where do they, where do they get their living from? From the temple sacrifices. So he's hammering one of these points home really well. I am entitled to this right of gaining support. I am entitled to this making a living. He says, you would be crazy To try to say otherwise. Right? So ushers, if you could get the baskets ready, we're going to pass out, get an offering going real quick. No, I'm just kidding. Y'all got really scared for a second. (laughs) Don't worry. That's not what this message is about. I can feel the tension in some people. Right? Paul ends on this line. He says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. 
right? Is it, is it too much to ask that I be compensated for my work? No, everybody would agree. Paul says, this is, this is how I need to make a living. It's common sense. He proved that through the soldiers, the vineyards, the shepherds, the oxen, the temple servants. This is common sense. Right? If, if you thought that the church was just funny about money nowadays, you're wrong. This is right, human nature is human nature. They've been doing, you know, people have been doing this forever. Right? You don't, you don't work a job, Paul is saying. Right? Imagine you start a new job. Bi-weekly or weekly, you're supposed to get paid. Payday comes, you look at your account, and nothing shows up. What happens? You get upset because you worked for and you earned a living. You are supposed to get some of that dough in your pocket. Right? Now you don't know how you're going to eat. It's Monday afternoon, and you were expecting to go out with your friends. You just got that check in your bank account. Right? The, that new the, the new clothing line just came out. Target has a sale. You don't know what you're going to do anymore because your money didn't come in. You're so upset right now. Right? You, don't, you don't work a job and expect not to get paid. We work and we expect to get compensated for our time. Paul proves this. This is common sense law in all of human beings since the beginning of time. And so after proving this, though, Paul takes a hard left, and he says something that you just don't expect. You know, if, if you've watched televangelists for long enough, this is, this is where they stop, you know? But they never get to this next point that Paul talks about, starting in verse 15 to 18. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Paul's saying, don't worry, I'm not about to pass around the offering bucket I'm not writing you because of that. He says, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward that in preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? So what is, what is Paul saying here? We're going to chop this up verse by verse real quick. In verse 15 he starts, I have made no use of this right. So he's just spent half of this chapter proving this is my freedoms, these are my rights, this is what I deserve. And then he starts off right away, he says, but I have made no use of that. Why? Right? He's not married, he doesn't receive support from them, he, he's not technically doing all the things he technically could. He says, I'm not writing you this so that you start giving me, so what is he talking about? Why? He says, for I would rather die than deprive anyone... De then have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. He says, I take pride in laying down these rights. I take pride in saying, you know what? I can do these things, but I'm not going to do these things. In verse 16, for if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He's saying, I cannot boast I can't, I can't have any pride if I'm just preaching the gospel. Because he says, it, necessity is put on me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. This is my calling. 
I'm a servant in this manner. I have no choice but to preach the gospel. This is what God has called me to do. I would die if I didn't do it. That's what it means, woe to me if I don't do this. My life would be in jeopardy if I didn't do this. So I can't get up every morning and preach and then take pride in my preaching because I don't do that out of my own volition. That is my call. That is, that is what I'm supposed to do. There is no escaping it for him. He has to do this. It wasn't his choice. He cannot boast in this. He said in verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. Paul says, listen, if I, if I could have made a free choice of this and preached, then I should expect a thank you. I should expect a reward. I should expect the gifts. I should expect these things. But guess what? This isn't a free will. This isn't something that I can just wake up and not do anymore. And so I don't expect, just like a servant doesn't expect a thank you from his master, he is not expecting a reward for what he was called to do. I could preach on that for a little while, but I won't. Verse 18 says, what then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he's basically saying, I got to get creative here. If I, if I want a reward, then guess what? I can receive money for what I'm doing, but I'm laying that right down because then I can boast in that. I can take some pride in that, that I was deserved. I should have gotten this. This was not forced, but I am of my own volition laying this down, of my own will laying this down and saying, you know what? I don't want, so I can take pride in that. I can't take pride in in, in preaching, I can't take pride in doing what I'm supposed to do, but I can lay this down. And if I let anybody give that to me, then they take away my right to boast. So he receives his reward not in something that is forced, his call to preach the gospel, but in something that is not forced, doing it free of charge. Right? Ultimately, back then, for some communities... Asking for money would have been a stumbling block to them. So Paul forgoes this right, and he does not take support for preaching the gospel so that the gospel can move forward. So he continues. He's given up his right to support, but that's not the only thing he's given up. We read continually, what else has Paul given up? In verses 19 to 23, he says, For though I am free from all... I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul's given up his right to provision, and he's also given up his freedoms. Right? He starts this off, for though I am free from all, I have made myself what a servant to all, that I might win more of them. His goal was to see people come to Christ. 
And he would do anything that he had to do to his own discomfort to see that happen. That was Paul's posture in life. And he gives examples of what he would do. He says, first, let's look at the Jewish people. Right? He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. So in order to win the Jewish people, in order to preach the gospel to them, in order to actually sit down and converse with them, go to their synagogues, Paul had to go back under the law of Moses, the clean laws, the food laws, all the, 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 the clothing laws. He had to act under the law, even though he was free from all of that stuff. He no longer had to walk in it. He would put himself under the yoke or the burden of the law so that he can go and preach to Jewish people. Why? Because if he didn't, they wouldn't talk to him. They wouldn't accept him into their circles. They wouldn't have a conversation with him. So he knew, guess what, I'm free from this stuff. I don't have to, like, I can eat bacon. Like, this is good. Life is, life is going well. You know, like, I'm doing good. But I'm going to give that up. Because I can't pull out my little pig when I'm hanging out with them. Or they're going to kick me out of their house. So what does he do? He, he goes back under the yoke of the law so that what? Just so that some of them may become saved. And he was serious. He, he has one of his spiritual children, Timothy. Timothy grew up Greek, right? Gets saved. And Timothy starts traveling with Paul. And Paul says, listen, Tim. You know, we're going to have to go talk to some Jewish people, and they're not going to let you unless you get circumcised. So we're going to have to put you under the knife. Talk about discomfort, right? As a man, I can tell you this is sacrifice. Some of you are a little uncomfortable with this conversation. It's all right. You're all adults here. We can, we can talk about this. This literally happened. He told Timothy, you're going to come with me? I had to circumcise my brother here so that he can talk with people because I wouldn't want this dumb little thing to be a stumbling block. Paul was serious about this. This wasn't just something that he was talking about. It, he, he, he lived this life. And then he said, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Now, before people start getting crazy, he wasn't going to orgies, he wasn't getting drunk, he wasn't doing fornication, like he wasn't in the club like, hey, I'm witnessing to you right now. That was a little different than my Jesus dance the other day. You weren't ready for that, it's okay. Right, he wasn't doing that, he said, I stayed under the law of Christ, let's just, let's get that clear before somebody's like, yo, I was blazing to witness to them. I just, I couldn't hang out unless I was getting high, you know what I'm saying? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I kept the law of Christ, but I came out of the Jewish law codes, right? Because he could eat with them, their foods. They, they had foods that they had in their house that it was, it was common to give those foods over to their idols before they ate to pray to them. He was like, I, I could eat with you guys now. It's okay that you did this. I bless my food. I'm good. I'm good. Paul says, I became like those not under the law when I had to be around them so that I can reach them. A modern day example of this is the difference between colonialism and Jesuit evangelism. In colonialism, what happened? We said, we are going to you and you guys are going to become Christians whether you like it or not. And you becoming a Christian means you become like me. You're going to dress like me. You're going to be civilized like me. 
You're going to talk like me. You're going to use my language. You're going to have my practices. And that was colonialism. It was, I'm not going to become like you. You're going to become like me. And what happened? There was no sacrifice in colonialism. There was death. There was destruction. There was atrocities in that. But if you read about the Jesuits, one of the sects of Catholicism, their methodology of evangelism was like Paul's. When they went into areas, instead of teaching people to be like them, they first became like the people they were going to. So famously, one of the Jesuits was the first person to uh, go and reach people for the gospel in Eastern Asia uh, and Chinese areas where they had a closed off to the rest of the world. They didn't allow anybody in. So what did he do? He started to dress like them. He started to wear clothes, talk like them, learn the language, and started to see people come to know Jesus. But a bunch of these guys were kicked out of the church. They were excommunicated. Why? Because for so long, our mentality, the Western mentality has been, when I convert you, that means I also have to make you look like me, talk like me, act like me. Instead, Paul's saying, no, that's all wrong. I'm going to talk like you. I'm going to act like you. I'm going to dress like you. I'm going to eat like you. Why? Because I don't want any of this foolishness to be a stumbling block for the gospel. Whatever customs of yours I need to take on, as long as I can do it under Christ, I'm going to do it. Whatever clothes that may seem weird to me that I need to put on so that you may receive the gospel, it may seem weird to me, but I'm going to do it. Whatever ways that you talk that may seem weird to me, that may seem improper to me, I'm going to do it. Because it's not worth my comfort for you not to receive the gospel message. Paul could have easily said, believe in Jesus and become a Jew in practice, but he didn't. He could have went to all the Gentiles and said, you know what, I want you to dress like this. These are now the food laws. These are, this is how you have to live. He could have easily done that, but he did it. And why didn't he do that? In verse 23, it says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Because he wanted to see the gospel go forth without any hindrance. If his appearance was a hindrance, guess what changed? His appearance. If his, the food that he ate was a hindrance, guess what changed? The food that he ate. If even receiving a salary was a hindrance, guess what changed? He didn't take a salary. This is very clear implications for us today. Yet it will be hard to swallow because in our culture we have such a high value of absolute autonomy. I could do whatever I want, whenever I want, right? We, we live in America. We have the Bill of Rights. We literally say, these are my rights as a human being. These are my rights as a person, and we do not let go of those rights. Our culture values, it culminates into individual freedom. God can't tell me what to do and what's good for me. People can't tell me what's best for me, my Family, my friends, my boss, nobody can tell me what is best for me and how I can live. Only I can do it. 
And I love this quote. I forget the author's name, uh, but he has this to say about this passage, and you can read it on the screen with me. He says, the concept of absolute autonomy is diametrically opposed to the Christian view of our identification with Christ. Our solidarity as members of his body, our recognition of his lordship, and our calling to use the freedom we have in the interests of the well-being and salvation of others. The gospel leads us to live in ways that will win others to Christ and promote their best interests, not promote our own personal interests and freedom at others' expense. Ultimately, Paul is saying, who cares what I am able to do? Who cares what I have the right to say and what I have the right to do? If it hinders other people from hearing the gospel, who cares that this is my preference? Who cares that this is what I like? If it hinders somebody from hearing the gospel, it is not that important that it's more important than the salvation of their soul. We must live a life in which personal happiness and freedom does not trump sacrifice for the gospel. Personal happiness and personal freedoms cannot trump our sacrifice for the gospel. Sacrifice is one of the greatest Christian ethics. And we see the perfect model of sacrifice in Jesus, the one that we serve. What did Jesus do? He left the throne room. He came to earth as a baby. He didn't come in Rome as God over everybody and say, I'm in charge now and look at all my power and just shoot people with lightning bolts and have angels just start slaying people. This is how I think, sorry. Now, he, he didn't do that. What? He came into one of the poorest villages in one of the most obscure places in the world. He left power and wealth for poverty and for frailty. And that wasn't it. His incarnation did not end there. He walked through life constantly Betrayed by the religious elite, the very people that were supposed to be his children did not accept him, rejected the cornerstone, as he says, and then gave him to the Roman Empire to then kill him where he was beaten to the point of unrecognition, then hung on a cross till he suffocated and died. The Christian ethic of sacrifice is seen in the Son, Jesus Christ, most fully. And this is the same ethic that Paul has. That if Jesus could sacrifice his life, could sacrifice all that he had going for him, if he could come on earth and give all of that up to walk with us, be tempted like us, so that he can reconcile with his children, even though we did not deserve it, if he could do all that, man, Paul says, I can give up a few rights. I can dress differently than I want to. I can eat different foods than what I want. I can talk differently. I can give up some stuff. Right? When, when we look at Jesus, he had this to say to his disciples when he talked about servanthood. In John 13, he said, no one is greater than his master. And what he meant was this. 
If your master is willing to serve and sacrifice in these ways, how much more should you be willing to serve and sacrifice in these ways as well? No one is greater than his master. If the master is willing to do this, if Jesus is willing to do this, how much more are his children? Should his children be willing to do this? Be willing to lay down our preferences, our individual freedom, our happiness, and sacrifice who we, have, who we are. We can ask ourselves these questions. Can I sacrifice my will? What I want to happen? Like it says, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Am I willing to pray that and actually mean it? Can I sacrifice my treasure? Paul gave up his salary. Can I sacrifice my time? The apostles dedicated their lives to this. Can I sacrifice my reputation? We read about the blind man last week who was kicked out of the synagogue, who sacrificed his reputation in a circle of friends and family to testify to the name of Jesus. Paul says in verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I love that. Because he says all things. All people, all means, and he doesn't say so that he may save all, just so that he may save some. He will do whatever it takes. Hey, you want, you want me to wear some different shoes? You want me to, you know, not, not have a, a night to myself so I can do this? You, you want me to do X, whatever? All right. If that's what it's going to take, I'm game. That's what Paul says. God's people should always be the first to raise their hand in inconvenience. We should always be the ones that say, oh, that's, that's inconvenient. That's sacrifice so the gospel may go forward. Sign me up. Because the servant is not greater than his master. There is a priority level in life. The message of the gospel goes forth. And going forth takes priority over any perceived right that I have as a Christian, as an American, or as a person. Any perceived freedoms that I have. There's a priority level that says, will this hinder the gospel going forward? If it does, then guess what? This takes priority. This goes right to the top. Jesus sacrificed his right to heaven and to power to come to earth in the form of a baby to die a horrible death on the cross so that he may gather his children to him, Jew and Gentile. And imagine if he did all that and then we said, well, it's not worth some inconvenience in my life. Oof. Are we willing to give away even the things that we are owed? Even the things that we can rightly say, that is mine. I deserve that. Even the things that we can say, that is, that is my right to have. I have earned this. Are we willing to even lay down those things? You know, a very... Practical example is I, I love 
David and Danny, two amazing dudes. If you don't know them, David plays the piano, Danny plays the bass. Uh, and in the beginning, the first six months of the church, the preview period, and the few months after that, uh, if you don't know anything about churches and how it works, musicians aren't supposed to be part of setup. It's just not how it's supposed to happen. Uh, they're supposed to come. Their stuff is supposed to be set up. They come for sound check, uh, and they start playing. This is how it is in churches. So uh, they, they have a right to say, you know what? I shouldn't be doing setup. I shouldn't be doing breakdown. I have a service to play. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of prep, a lot of time. I need to keep my head in the right space. Both of these dudes gave up that right, that convenience of just coming in and playing and laid it down so that they can wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning to get to storage at 7.30, 8 o'clock to load the U-Haul, bring it over here, be a part of setup, break everything down, bring it back to storage, and then drop the U-Haul off. That's a very practical example of we want the gospel to go forward in Bay Ridge. If that inconveniences my Sunday morning routine a little bit, then guess what? I give up my right. They said I give up my right as a musician to come in at 9.30, 10 o'clock and be ready for sound check so that I can help the gospel be proclaimed in this neighborhood. It is an inconvenience. It is a right that they have that they said I will lay it down. And that is how even this church there are a million examples of people saying, you know what, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it. Paul here is only, he's not saying anything new. He's only setting and reminding the example that Jesus left. Sacrifice and inconvenience is one of the greatest ethics of Christianity. And when we when the question is put out there, who will go? Who will inconvenience themselves? Who will lay down their rights? Who will lay down their freedoms in order so that the gospel will go forward? The servants who are not greater than the master should raise their hand and say, send me. Can you stand with me and pray? We're actually going to sing that song again. that we were just singing before we started, Reckless Love. Because I want us to sing it and hear what God does. And it's from human perspective. When we look at what God does from our perspective, it seems so reckless. It seems so crazy. It seems so wild. But it's not. He is willingly laying down his life. He is willingly laying down his convenience. He left that example. And so when we look at what he did, we can say, God, I want to be like you. Look at what you've done for me. You have gone to the deepest valley. You've gone to the darkest place. You've gone where no one was willing to go. Look at where I am today. Father, send me. Father, I pray that we would be a church that follows the example that you left, that Paul reminds us of, willing to live a life of inconvenience and sacrifice so that the gospel and its message may go forth, the power unto salvation. Lord, that when we remember what it means to be on mission, we remember what it means to sacrifice. 
we would remember what it means to be a servant of you. In Jesus' name I pray. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. And all the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, and I don't Still you give yourself away And all the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God
Shit. 